Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Hi, welcome to I Don't Mean to Scare You, a podcast about things maybe we should be afraid of. Today's episode is episode five. I'm with Dr. Dalja. Is your phone on, Dr. Dalja? What was that beep? It was my laptop. Okay. Uh, the only person who's ever been on this podcast. Welcome back, Dr. Adalja. Uh, yep. Every episode so far has been about COVID-19, even before it had a name. Uh, we are in week, what is it now, six of the shelter-in-place order? Week five? Week four? Most people have lost count. Over 2,600,000 confirmed cases around the world. Uh, 843,000 cases in the U.S. Um, what are we at? 47,000 deaths in the U.S. as of today, which, what is the date even? It's Wednesday, the 22nd of April, two days after Hitler's birthday, three days after my mom's birthday. How are you doing? I'm fine. The same as usual. The same as usual. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, a lot of people at this point, know the deal with COVID. I think the main questions people have are future outlook. Um, what do you predict in the next, you know, three to six months, uh, maybe even, how long do you think that this, uh, how, how long are we going to be in, in some form of shelter in place dealing with this virus? What are your future predictions? It depends on where you live. I think that shelter-in-place orders are going to be lifted in many states because the outbreak is kind of asynchronous and not necessarily every place is go- is going to be hit in the same way as other places are. So I think you will see shelter-in-place orders start to lift as they're able to be done, maybe at a county level or regional level, uh, depending upon what's going on, because it's very different in different parts of the country. Not every place is in a situation like the hotspots we're in. But they will be, right, or no? No, some of them may not have. I don't think you can extrapolate exactly what happened in New York City to every part of the country. New York City has special considerations in terms of population density, the fact that the hospitals are often always stressed, the fact that there have been hospital closures there, so they have decreased bed capacity over the last couple of years, and the fact that they, they got hit early on, and other places have had time to prepare to get their hospitals ready to get diagnostic testing stood up and to get personal protective equipment, supply chains fortified. So I think it's not going to be that every place has a a New York type. Every place is going to get cases. That's, that's inevitable, but most of those cases, most of those places are like New York. We know. Yeah. Yes. So, okay. 
it's not going to be like New York most everywhere, but how do you ha- how do you lift shelter in place when you can have somebody when when are people going to be allowed to travel to different regions? How do we know, you know, I I know that different places want to lift the shelter in place, but when will it truly be safe for people to move around freely and not be at risk for contracting COVID? When will it be safe to go in the water again? It sounded like what you're saying. Yeah, when like will it be type. safe to go to the water again? <clears throat> when there's a vaccine, but it, it, it's not this false alternative where everybody is going to Wuhan-style lockdown for 18 months versus uh, letting the virus run rampant and destroy hospitals. There's a, there's a balance there, and it's going to be different in different regions. What the do you the think? goal here is not to, not to prevent cases. There's going to be more cases no matter what you do. As soon as you start to relax social distancing, we're going to get more cases, and you shouldn't judge relaxation orders based on the number of cases. It's will the number of cases occur at a slow enough rate that they don't overwhelm the system. What about that whole second wave that's going to come in the fall or winter of next year? Uh, everyone's talking about the second wave. Uh, why is it supposed to be worse, or how do we know it's going to be worse? We don't know it'll be worse, but we know that this virus will have the full respiratory virus season to do what it needs to do, rather than just an abbreviated season like it's having now, coming in January, and maybe hopefully tapering off as we get into warmer weather in this part of the the world. But this isn't going anywhere. The virus is still going to be there. And and it may have a, a synergism with influenza. You're going to have hospitals that are dealing with flu cases as well as coronavirus cases, and that can be really demanding on hospital resources. And that's going to be a, be a challenge everywhere. So SARS kind of was able to like get back into the bottle. SARS isn't a thing anymore. It, it was a big thing, and then it just they caught it in time, and people died, but it didn't end up circulating the globe. Is this just more contagious than SARS was? Is there, there's no, this isn't going to die. I remember you saying that a while ago, this is going to be like a seasonal thing. We're just, there's no hope of containing this at this point. This is just in our world now. Is that correct? Yeah, this, this is in our world. And, and SARS, SARS was something that is very similar to this virus, but SARS was not nearly as contagious. And SARS was basically able to be, stop because it wasn't so contagious deadlier you, less contagious but deadlier right on a on a on a case fatality ratio basis yeah about 10 percent of people that got infected with SARS died and it's just not as transmissible this is just very different this behaves like the community acquired coronaviruses in terms of its transmissibility and it's in the human population it doesn't need any animals other than the human as its means of getting around do you still believe that this is like a really bad cold or really I never bad, believed it was a really, really bad, bad flu or really bad flu. It depends on how you're talking about it. If you're talking to an individual patient, yes, that's what I would tell the individual patient, that this is going to be like a severe influenza or a severe cold, and, and you're probably going to do okay. But that's not how you should think about that at a policy level when you're talking about the fact that the population has no immunity to it. So even if it's a small, if the case fatality ratio is 0.5%, a small percentage of a big number is still a big number so it what will do we think the case influence. fatality ratio is right now what are we getting are we getting more clarity on that we're getting more clarity and it continues to fall so it's likely well below one percent probably around 0.5 percent or maybe even maybe even lower as we get more and more studies so showing 0.5 percent is sorry 0.5 percent is like five times worse than a really bad flu season 
Yeah, it's a, it's about that. Wow. Okay. Now there are a lot of talk about antibody testing for people like you know me and Josh. Josh thought that he had COVID for like a day or something. He was like sick. A lot of musicians, for whatever reason, think that they. I don't know what it is about musicians, but um, should we get antibody tests? Like, where can you get them? Are they reliable? They're not quite reliable yet, but I do think they're going to be a way to understand who got infected and who didn't, but I wouldn't trust them yet because they're not well-validated or standardized, and we don't actually know what that result means. There's cross-reaction with other coronaviruses. There may be false positives as mm. well. So when will we know that those that getting an antibody test is that the antibody tests are reliable? Probably in several weeks. I, I think that we'll start to have some more standardization and quality control. Is the central government doing anything right? I think they really have botched the response from the beginning. I think they're starting now to understand that they can play a they, that they need to play an important role with coordination of resources and to give governors the resources to be able to do widespread what was that? Oh, you heard it. I think I got a text, but I have it was just it sounded like a it sounded like a, a fart sound. No, oh, you thought that I did that. That I that would be funny if I added a soundtrack to this. That would that That's might that actually is a really good idea to make it funny. I've just abandoned all hope of making this podcast ever funny. I just kind of wanted people to. I'm so tired today. Does it? Could I have it? I haven't been out of my house in so long, and I think I'm tired because you I have carbon monoxide poisoning. We could, oh, there's like mold on, there could be like black mold in our house. I shouldn't call it that. It feels like weird, but it's mold. There, I don't know. Yes. Yeah. So back to the federal government. So yeah, they, could, <laughs> they, they, get, they should get better at coordinating. They're getting a little bit better understanding that they do have a role to play. So hopefully but they are will they give getting, states the I, I resources. Just, uh, are they getting better? Do they care? Are they just like war profiteers? It feels like they, at every turn, are just diverting personal protective equipment from hospitals and just trying to profit with like hydroxychloroquine, which we, which isn't apparently effective and Trump has investments in it or what, what's that? That, that sucked. There's no way to, it's a generic drug. He does nobody has investments in it. Nobody's profiting. But from didn't he, no, I got to find out. There was like a company that he invested in. Hold on. All right. Keep talking. I'm Googling this. Well, the federal government is getting a little bit better at doing this, helping states figure out plans for testing, helping with guidance and helping with management of, of personal protective equipment and ventilators. But this is really late coming and they should have been having leadership from the beginning and helping to guide the, the guide the response. And in the absence of that, you've seen governors basically doing this on their own. And that's why we've got this patchwork of in this state. This is an essential business in this state. And this is another essential business and all the all of that is really the result of a lack of federal leadership. So per that claim, it's mostly false. You're correct. But what is true, according to Snopes, is that Trump earned some income from three family trusts that are administered independently by J.B. Morgan, and they are partly invested in mutual funds that themselves are partially invested in companies that produce hydroxychloroquine. So, you know, okay, you're right. Well, I don't think that, yeah. I mean, hydroxychloroquine is a generic drug. It's very cheap. It's not in lots of generic drug, drug. Drug companies make lots of different generic drugs. So I don't think that there's anything to that. It's just that this is not, this wasn't a vetted claim and you have the people Daily that were Beast unqualified making it. reported it. So that's maybe not necessarily 
awesome of them. But okay, fine. Either way, you know, we don't need, I hear what you're saying. Um, okay. Uh, people on Twitter want to know some things. Um, they want to ask somebody, Lindsay, my joke suck. That's what her last name is. I'm not making that up. Lindsay, my joke suck says, is it possible that any of these outbreaks in the meatpacking plants are coming from actual meat? No, no, that was a, I should have, I should have read that question before I asked you. Um, but on that note, if people are buying the meat from the meatpacking plants and people with COVID are making the meat and they freeze the meat and then the meat goes in their freezer, is there a chance that COVID, they could get COVID that way? Really, really low. I don't think it's anything I would worry about. Have there been any cases? Because I just, I wanted to support small business. I bought a little bit of cheese from Murray's Cheeses in New York. It came in today with like um, ice actually in the box, which I know that you said that COVID does really well in cold conditions. I washed my hands when I opened it, but could there be little COVID on the cheese? No, I don't. I don't think so. But there technically could be. But there have there have been no instances of transmission via food. It's not a it's not a foodborne illness. So I don't think it's that's not something I would worry too much about. Well, we always well. Worry. There's people like the people are poisoning themselves because they're like cleaning their groceries with Clorox and getting bleached. If you look at the data from the poison centers, the number of calls is really high for bleach inhalation that's going on because people are doing crazy stuff to their groceries or to their mail and really using way too much bleach. Uh, yeah, and, and if you like problems. mix ammonia and bleach, which a lot of people do and they don't know about it, you can die. Yes, lots of negative consequences for over for doing some of these things going above and beyond what you need to do. I feel like such an idiot because I still don't understand. If you can get COVID from somebody like breathing on you, if the COVID particle is on a piece of food and you eat it, that just seems like you'd be able to get COVID that way, but I guess you just, it's just not a thing that happens. I know. No, I mean, I, I think I can imagine situations where it happens if there's a lot of particles on there and, and you don't swallow, and it gets, if it finds a way to attach to something that it needs to attach to before it goes down your throat. But I don't, I don't know. It just hasn't, you just haven't had any recorded cases of it yet. It's just not how respiratory viruses spread. Such an unsatisfying answer, but I hear, I, I, I guess I understand. I mean, it's, yeah. Um, how long do you think we'll be in, I know you, like, estimate time-wise how long you think we'll be in some sort of shelter-in-place. You said until there's a vaccine. When- no, 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 shelter-in-place is not going to be until there's a vaccine. I think that states are already lifting shelter-in-place orders. I don't think that that you're going to see shelter-in-place orders Um I think most states will probably end up lifting by June. Uh, some states are going to be lifting within the next week and a half, I suspect. Now, I read, I listened to the Daily Podcast, and they said that, like, the mumps vaccine took four years to make. Could we be in some form of, could this virus be circulating for the next, like, three to four years? And like, oh, it definitely will be. Yeah, I mean, I, even when you get the vaccine, it's not going to be 100%, not 100% of people are going to get vaccinated. So you will see circulation of it. I mean, polio still circulates in certain countries. Bubonic plague is always some little kid in Portland playing with a dead squirrel ends up getting bubonic. Right, but there's no effective vaccine for bubonic plague. And bubonic plague has an animal reservoir, which is different. So there, there's, that's something different. What's an animal reservoir? An animal reservoir is a species other than humans that is home to the virus that makes it 
impossible to eradicate. So plague is something that lives in in rodents, but just like bats. But if you, COVID isn't that for bats, like bats. And, exactly. Yes. So yeah. COVID is that way as well. COVID has an animal reservoir. Or no. It does have an animal reservoir. Hmm. Bats. Bats. Um. Yeah, so my friend Ashley asked, is there any point in getting an antibody test when we don't really know what it means in terms of immunity and we don't know which ones are reliable? No, you said wait wait for the antibody test. Is that correct? Right, yeah. There are people doing, some of the academic centers are doing antibody testing, but for people maybe that are going to be donating plasma after they've recovered, and there's some people doing like community-level type of antibody testing to see how prevalent it is in a certain community, that that's, I think, a, a proper use right now. But for individual decision-making, I think it's pretty hard to, to know exactly what it means. Okay, so hold off. What about people are saying, you know, next flu season is going to be really bad. Obviously, compounded with COVID is going to be worse. You should get a flu shot. But how? You Like, are there safe ways to get the flu shot right now when it's offered? Are they, are they while everything's furloughed, are they going to make a good flu shot for next year? Can you talk about that? Yeah, they are making the flu vaccine, and I think it's going to be even more important than usual to get that flu vaccine because the, the we want to have space in our hospitals to deal with coronavirus patients in the fall, and we want to keep people with flu out of the hospital. We've got a preventive measure against flu, so people should get vaccinated. We should hopefully have a record year of flu vaccinations, getting close to the to the optimal number so that, that people with flu don't end up in the hospital so we can devote all of those resources yes. that we would use on flu to coronavirus. But yeah, we there, there will be flu vaccines, and there will be uh, the ability to get flu shots. Uh, they're not available yet. They'll start to get available, um, obviously, in like August or September is when you'll start to see them being advertised. Do you think it's safe for people to be going to grocery stores to go grocery shopping right now? I do think it's safe. You just have to take common sense precautions. Well, not everybody has common sense, Dr. Adalja. What well, then is nothing that? is safe. Right? If you don't have common sense, then nothing but is But what safe. is common sense? Common sense to... I remember we talked a couple weeks ago, you know, and you said that like masks... Unless they're real masks, like, you know, um, the N95 masks, they're not really effective. And now everybody's wearing No, masks. I never said that. I'm not an N95 person. Well, just remember how I had a whole conversation about makeshift masks? And you were like, it doesn't really work. They, they don't. But you don't need an N95 mask either. I, I don't wear an N95 mask unless it's a patient in the hospital getting an but, aerosol But makeshift, procedure. forget I said N95, but makeshift masks are better than nothing, correct? No. They're I don't not. know that that's true. But a lot of people now are saying like denim or canvas masks. You can wear them obviously a couple layers and that's better than nothing. Everyone in LA right remember, now is, the, the, Remember the mask is not to protect you. It's to protect other people, yes. Yes, from your, and, and most studies show that people still, still breathe around those masks. And there's all kinds of questions about the circumstances for people who have no symptoms at all and what, how to, what, under what circumstances they're contagious. Obviously, if you're sick and you're coughing or sneezing and you have a fever, you should be wearing a mask if you, you have just to go shouldn't, Yeah, you shouldn't be out if you can help it. But for everyone else right now in Los Angeles, everybody's running around wearing masks. I'm not really, I haven't been out, but like on my street when I walk Little Potato, I haven't been wearing a mask. Because I'm not near anybody. Is that selfish? Should I be putting a mask on even for as a symbolic gesture of solidarity? I've not done it either. Uh, it's not. I don't. I wear a mask when I'm taking care of patients when I'm in the hospital. That's despite what the Pennsylvania rule is. So it's not. I, I think it's. I think there's a lot more controversy to the mask thing than than the, 
than has been really reported on, and we don't know how much they, how well those those homemade masks work. How paradoxically, more people touch their faces when they're wearing a mask like yes. that because they're always adjusting it, taking it off to do their face ID on their phone, uh, to talk on the phone, um, all of that kind of stuff. The people keep touching their face more and more, so they may be paradoxically contaminating themselves more than they would otherwise. And then they throw. I just walking down the street in Pittsburgh on Sunday, and I saw like five masks just like on the floor, on the, just sitting on the street, like in the in the gutter beside the sidewalk. So people are just discarding their masks everywhere. And that, what, what if people have to pick those up? Yeah, that's bad. Well, okay. Um, I know we talked a little bit about silent carriers and the jury was still out last time we talked, but I had this theory that roving bands of kids were like able to contaminate people. We know, we now know more about, silent carriers, that people can be silent carriers and have no symptoms and transmit the virus, right? Under certain circumstances, like we've seen it in choir practice and household contacts, I don't know how much casual contact outside of a household is doing. Because remember, the, the virus can't teleport from you to somebody else. You still have to have, it still has to have a mechanism. And if you're not coughing or sneezing, that's a big barrier to the virus. But so you've got to have talkers, someone that you're... Spit talkers. Yes, yes, spit talkers. But so if you stay six feet apart, you're not going to get it uh, from that. But yes, there there are circumstances where it can happen. If you've what? got a person who who sprays it instead of says it, says it then. fart. What about farts? Can I don't you? think that that's a mechanism. I mean, I guess technically there is some fecal oral transmission. So some people who have diarrhea from this can transmit it. So if your fart is a shark, I think maybe you could do it. So sharts are actually silent, but deadly is now just really it's literal. You well, could, yeah, for the person that's, like, cleaning your underwear. If somebody sharts in their pants, and maybe, okay, fine. If somebody's wearing a skirt and they shart, let's say they have, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm assuming they have underwear on. You know, they're not on a date. They have underwear on, they're wearing a skirt, and they shart. I know you're thinking, Jenna doesn't wear underwear on dates. Whatever. I know that, okay. Suppose someone sharts in a skirt. It could be a Scottish man. It could be an, uh, somebody gender nonconformist. It could be a woman. It could be a man in a skirt, whatever. And they have under on and they have COVID and somebody's like five and a half feet away. Could they get COVID? No. Are you sure? No, unless it was like, an, it had to be an explosive shart. All sharts are explosive. There's not, there's not really like a shart that's not explosive. Otherwise, I mean, it wouldn't be a shard. It would be like a shit. Well, it'd have to have a, bla like, whatever the blast zone is, it has, it's not going to go that far. Okay. Because gravity is going to affect But remember the, the woman in Hong Kong in her hotel, sorry, in her. Right, because, but that woman, was because it came through on. like a leaky pipe. I have to set it up. The woman was in uh, her apartment complex and somebody 10 floors above her had COVID and she got it from a leaky pipe. So that was a, a a shit plume coming out of the leaky pipe, and she. Well, okay. It wasn't really a plume. It was just like it was just poop water leaking on her. That's a different story. So it definitely leaked. So maybe she cleaned it up, and it like leaked on her. Gotcha. Yeah, or it was spraying out of it was dripping or whatever, and spraying out of the pipe or whatever. Are you more likely to get COVID from a shart or from somebody who has it preparing your food and you eat their food? probably neither. I mean, I, I guess probably someone preparing your food if they're sneezing on it. I don't, because not everybody has it in there. I don't think everybody has it in their GI tract. Certain people do get GI symptoms, but not everybody. 
Okay. Um, there, you've not read any cases about foodborne COVID, about somebody nope. getting it from anybody else. Because everyone's like, eat at these restaurants, restaurants, restaurants. Everybody's concerned about the restaurants and ordering food from there. But then other people are saying you have to put the food in the oven for 45 seconds. You can't just eat it. You, I don't, no, I don't do that. That's stupid. All right. All right, Dr. Dalja. Um, is there anything that you've learned in the past couple weeks that you didn't know from last time we talked? Any new developments? Um, no, like technical stuff about drugs and vaccines and things like that, but nothing that's interesting to the general audience, I don't think. Nothing about, the only thing people are well, going The fact that there's, I mean, today the big story that I got a lot of media calls about were those two individuals who, who died in February and now have been posthumously discovered to have been yes, the first in Northern California. Yeah, in Santa Clara County. So that's been interesting because we we had all, all thought that that there were cases that were missed before the first case was identified in the state of Washington. Were they people who were who had been in Wuhan? It doesn't look like it. it. Looks like they were. There was a local transmission chain going on in Santa Clara County before before that because those people weren't able to be tested because they said that in the article says they didn't meet CDC testing criteria, which likely means they weren't in in China. So then somebody who was in China carried it over didn't get sick and gave it to them? Something like that. There probably was a transmission chain, so it might have been through a person to another person, another person, until eventually got there. So this could have been here maybe late December, early January, um, definitely early January, but maybe even as early as late December, uh, which tells you like a lot of the actions that were taken probably were were the, were the wrong actions um, because this was already here. So all of those people on the Air Force Base, for example. Yeah. Um, switching gears, I read that 30% of Brooklyn hospital employees are infected with COVID and obviously many of them have died. Um, have you, is that about correct? 30% of hospital employees in Brooklyn? Well, I do think that most healthcare workers are going to get infected. So that doesn't surprise me. I don't know that many of them have died. I don't know where you got the many, that adjective from. Uh, that many was in the article. I, uh, oh, some, it was on Twitter. Sorry, Eric, Dr. Eric Ding. Do you know him? And uh, why do you? No, what? I, I, I really would. Um, you should read some articles about him. Oh, that's the one that you warned me about? Do you want me Yes. To, okay. Sorry, sorry, sorry. There's a, good, there's a good article about him, though, in the Chronicle of Higher Education. Okay. Okay. I didn't know. I know that you warned me about somebody. I didn't realize it was him. Gotcha. He's not an infectious disease specialist. He says epidemiologist and health economist. He's a nutritional epidemiologist, yes. Uh-oh. So he knows a lot about diabetes. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm going to unfollow Eric. Sorry, Eric. I know you're not listening, so it doesn't really matter. Okay, I just unfollowed Eric. Um, let's find out for our seven listeners how many people have died in the Brooklyn ho- Brooklyn hospital system who are healthcare workers. So I guess the reason I brought that up is how how can we, I mean, healthcare workers are not getting the PPE they need. How can we support them? What can we do to help them? And like, why, why aren't they able to get the PPE they need? What is the holdup? Why is this happening now? Why don't we have companies like... I don't know, GE manufacturing masks and equipment and, and things well, for these people. We do have all of that stuff coming into play now. It's just because nobody prepared for it. People didn't, they were in denial about how this was going to impact the United States. And we're in the situation we are in because they didn't do that. But we will have 
the appropriate personal protective equipment. I think that that those shortages hopefully will be will be gone soon, and that we have more. We have enough masks, gloves, gowns, all that face shields, everything that we need. So we're so we are working on um, getting equipment to people effectively. Is it actually happening? Because the last thing I read was that um, there was something a doctor posted about how like he tried to get personal protect, protective equipment for his hospital, I think in Maryland, and then the you know, the FBI or I forget who it was and tried to intercept him at first and didn't. Yeah, they, that, that I don't think it was Maryland. I forget what state it was, but they definitely yeah that's happening. That sometimes the FEMA FEMA will see, seize the. Um, that will seize types of these types of equipment, which I think is the wrong way to go about this. But, but that's just the problem when you don't have federal leadership that you have states and individual hospitals trying to make these deals on the black market because they're worried about their workers. And this is what happens when you don't prepare, when you don't replenish the strategic national stockpile. But I think it's getting better. I haven't myself been in any kind of situation where I was worried about personal protective equipment. Cause you're in Pittsburgh and you guys have it covered. Um, do you, okay, I know I've asked you this question in other ways, but in terms of, is there ever going to be a time that we will ha- return to some form of normal? When, if that exists, I know that I thought about just like that, like people at a movie theater sharing a vat of popcorn and you all dipping their dirty little fingers in a communal popcorn box like that's never going to happen again I feel like when we see that in movies it's going to be a marker of like life pre-2020 but in terms of cuddle parties which I never would go to when are those going to happen again with outside of the you know MAGA conspiracy theorist zones where people are like politicizing this in general for the rest of us who aren't um, in that cult when will life go back to normal what kind of party are you talking about going to? I'm not talking about going to parties. I just, it was a dumb attempt at a joke. Again, nothing's funny. Oh. I'm tired. Cuddle parties are these parties where people, they seem like my worst nightmare. Strangers, everybody pays. They're not sex parties. People just cuddle. Strangers all cuddle together in close proximity. You go to those things? No, I, you're not listening to me. I said, I don't go to them. They're my worst nightmare. That said, they existed in 2015 when I was thinking about doing a Daily Show piece about them. And they probably don't exist in the same regard right now. That's not, that's a bad example of normal. So I I think that we'll get closer to normal as we get further into this pandemic and and these, these things start getting lifted. But I think that if you're talking about like going to a, to a, a mass gathering, like a big sports game or a rock concert where people are screaming and yelling. I think it's probably unlikely to happen in the absence of a vaccine. I think you might see like, you might be able to see like Broadway shows or things where people can behave and not like scream and yell. That might be um, something that will, will be more easy to have because you can do social distancing there where people, we know that when people talk and yell and cheer and spit, that that's, that's going to end up spreading the virus. So I think there's going to have to be until there's a vaccine. So when do you think a vaccine realistically will come to market? That's effective and accessible for most people. Probably at least 18 months from the beginning. So I think in 12 to 18 months, what you keep saying. So we're now maybe like, maybe it's like from 10 to 16 months since I've been saying this for two, two months or so. But you remember, you have to vaccinate 7 billion people or however many people live on the planet. So it's not just the question of having the vaccines. 
it's being able to produce it at those levels and it's likely going to be tiered. So there's going to be people that are first tier vaccinees, like healthcare workers, like people that are high risk. No, it's going to billionaires first. It should go to healthcare workers first. Maybe it'll go to healthcare workers and billionaires. But the question is, this is all assuming that we had a functional government. Like, assuming that we have a reality clown as our president who not only isn't effective, but he's actually seems like he's doing everything to profiteer and to make it harder for people to survive this thing. When do you think we'll have a vaccine that will be able to be distributed to people in, in a safe, effective way? You said 12 to 18 months. You still believe that? That's it's the best. I mean, it might be longer because sometimes it does take longer. You don't know what there's going to be. We've also never had a vaccine for a coronavirus, right? In humans, there are animal coronavirus vaccines. So we're talking about a vaccine for something we haven't been able. The reason we haven't had a vaccine is that because there hasn't been political will, because there hasn't been like widespread coronaviruses, or is that just because we don't know how to do it because it's a tricky little beast? More the first thing, because remember that coronaviruses until 2003 were just like common cold viruses. That there wasn't really so that there just much wasn't the demand. political will to do it. Well, not you, political. It was just there's other priorities. There's other things that people were working on vaccines for. It wasn't very. It wasn't to be very impactful. Impact. So then, when SARS came around in 2003, they did start to do vaccine development, but then SARS disappeared, and so did all the funding. So, who do you think is on the front lines of making the vaccine? Who, if they were like, who would you, you know, have faith is going to come up with it first? Well, right now, there's a Chinese company that's actually in phase two clinical trials, which is the far that this is like record-breaking speed. And there are three other phase, there are other three other vaccines in phase one clinical trials, two in the United States, one in England. And so there are some companies. I don't know if you want me to name all the companies. Yeah, that, name all the companies. What's the Chinese so, company called? I actually don't know that one off the top of my head. Let will, me, you, will you text it to me? I can I can get it to you in a second. So the two American companies are Moderna. Yes, um, I know Moderna. And Innovio. And the Chinese company is called CanSinoBio. How do you spell it? C A N S I N O Bio. And the mm-hmm. the, the British vaccine is um Mm-hmm. It's being done by Oxford University. I'm just trying to see if there's a company that's they just people just call it the Oxford vaccine. Which one do you believe is the closest? The Chinese one? Well, the Chinese one is in phase two clinical trials. The Chinese one and the British one basically use some of the similar technology. The two American ones are using really um innovative technology using just the genetic sequence of the of the virus, the spike protein. So they're going to wasn't be a there bit, like a German company too that Trump was trying to like buy out or something? Yeah, that, that's in there. That's in there too. They're not in clinical trials yet. That's called CureVac. Yeah, CureVac. What do you think about that one? I think it's good. I think CureVac has done a lot of interesting stuff with HIV. So I think they're they're all they're all leaders. There's going to be lots of different companies that are involved, and now you've got some of the big players getting involved too, like Johnson and Johnson, and um, um. Uh, Sanofi Pasteur. I was going to just say Sanofi. Do you work, do you consult on, on, for any of them? No, no, none of those, no. So it wouldn't be insider trading if we, if you just said, guys, take your stimulus that you're going to get and invest it in those companies if you can afford to. Yeah, I, I don't, I think that those are all good companies that, that are going to be leaders in this, but I don't have any um, involvement with any of those ones. Great. Well, seven listeners, you hear, you heard it here first. 
I but know. everybody knows this is already priced into their stocks and everything. Oh, you heard it here last. That should have been the name of the podcast. All right. Well, you know, I'm trying to, it's a tough balance of being not trivializing things, continuing to be unfunny. I think we had a really good run with the shark joke. It's not a joke, but it was a nice riff about sharks. Also informative. Maybe I'll just post that. I don't know. Do you have any, anything else to say? I know that um, to those of you listeners, thank you so much for staying the course. I hope I answered some of your questions. Dr. Dolger, do you have any, any other thoughts or things to say? Um, I don't know if we covered ground. I was kind of, I disassociated from the episode today. Um, what do you think about, do you think like, uh, the Trumpy protesters, do you think they're going to go away just because they're all going to get it and then stop thinking it's a hoax? Wait, who's going to go away? No, I think that the people... All, have, the, all the people right now in states that are protesting the shutdown, do you think those protesters are going to stop protesting once they all start to get it? I think some of them may get it if there if there was transmission in their places but i don't know that sometimes people are just going to protest to protest even if they do get it i don't think that these are not rational some people are not rational about it i understand why people are protesting and and there is there is real concern about certain stuff going on with the economy but i think that if you're not social distancing when you're protesting it's just kind of defeating the whole it's, it's actually just going to prove people people's points and you're going to be less effective at actually getting your message across if you yourself become then a vector for this virus exactly all right do you have any other things you want to impart onto our listeners? No, I don't think so. Are you feeling okay? Because I know you're seeing a lot of COVID patients. Are, are people, are our prognosis getting better at all? Are we getting a better sense of how to treat people who are in the hospital or is it pretty much the same as it was? No, I think we're getting better at understanding who's, uh, how the course is going to go. Oh, I do want to, I do have one more thing I want to talk about. Sorry. What were you going to say? No, I mean, I, I, yeah, it's not, it's, um, I still, I haven't seen anything really, um, really bad in the hospitals that I'm working in, but that's because part this part of Pennsylvania has not been really strongly impacted. Okay. All right. The last thing I want to talk about are like the after effects of, of COVID. They seem like there are new things coming out every day. Rashes on you, COVID toe, uh, for elderly people who've been on, ventilators, some sort of, um, uh, cognitive issues. Um, what, what's that about? Heart well, problems, all, all, lung problems? They're not all direct effects of the virus. This is just stress on the, your body these, from being in that situation. Yeah. From having critical illness. So if you had ne- severe pneumonia from influenza, many of these same complications would be there if you were in the ICU on a ventilator for a prolonged time. So these are really complications of needing to be in a critical care unit, needing to be on a mechanical ventilator and with all the medications and, and complications that can happen when you're that critically ill. And now they're saying like, uh, if you, if you haven't had a fever for two, 72 hours, you're fine to go out in public and stuff. But people, how do we know for sure how long people are contagious? Cause I remember with Ebola, people still had Ebola in their semen and in their eyeballs for a long time after after they recovered, are there ways that people who are who have like recovered can still pass it on later? It's unclear. I think this is a respiratory virus, so it's in your respiratory tract. So it's not. I think that they have a better idea of when 
you're contagious in a sense, but there are some people who still shed virus, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're infectious because they may just be shedding viral particles that are defective and not able to infect anybody else. So I do think that the, the guidance on being, you know, waiting seven days and being fever-free for 72 hours without any medications, that makes sense. Scary stuff. Do you think there'll be a stigma against people who've had COVID or people who don't yet have COVID or people who don't have antibodies? No, I mean, Tom Hanks had COVID, so I don't think there's any stigma. Would you make out with Tom Hanks right now? Probably not, but not, not, for, not because of the COVID reasons. Sure, though. sure, sure. All right. Well, you've done your service. Thank you so much for taking time to talk to me um, on the record, mm-hmm. on your break from the heroic work that you are doing. Uh, has the media gotten better? Are they cool to you now? Is, are they still annoying? Is everyone still annoying? They're not annoying. I just do, I, I do a lot of media. Are you doing more or less in the past couple of weeks? Uh, it's, it's pretty much been the same. Because even if a day is not heavy on TV, then it's like heavy on radio or something. So, yeah. but I've been doing a lot. All right. Well, um, keep it up. Keep up the great work. Hang in there. Uh, you have no no final words. No, I don't think so. Should think we do that, this um, again? Is this going to be our last our last episode together on this? I, I I mean, let me see if anyone has one final question for you before I wrap this up. Um, so on the record, you would say that sharks do not transmit COVID unless you are close enough to how far away from the shark. Are you safe? You have to, if, as long as you're not touching it. That's if you're a foot away from a shark, you could probably get COVID. No. no how, how? It has to still get on your hands or something, and then into your mouth or your nose, or your eye. If you smell a liquid shark plume, <laughs> you could probably get it. That I'm not. This is serious, Doctor Dalja. You don't want to spread misinformation. I know that. I, I know you know my friend John McAfee. He likes the taste of poop. He needs to be aware of this kind of stuff. I think we can't underestimate how deadly these non-silent farts can be. Yeah, there probably are circumstances where where you could get the virus that way. Okay. If you're if you're too avid of a sniffer. Somebody asked a question, and I just feel like your answer is going to be informative but long and bureaucratic. Um, do I, can I ask you a question and you answer it in, like, less than a minute? Mm-hmm. Okay. From Odyssey Dave. What needs to happen to allow local governments, country, or state to scale up testing to a level comparable to South Korea's ten to 20,000 a day without the help of the federal government? If that doesn't happen, how informed of a decision can they even make about when and how to reopen? That's gonna. I can't answer that in a minute. Okay, fine. A minute and thirty seconds. Go. Well, I do, I do think that the federal government has to play the major role to try to facilitate this testing. States can do it. So, for example, Maryland, they just bought a whole nine million dollars worth of tests from South Korea. So there are going to be governors that try to do innovative things, but you have to really set up a program where that you where people can order tests and not have to worry about supply chain issues like nasal swabs or reagents to run the tests. And we're getting there, and I think we, we probably will get there. Um, I don't necessarily think you have to test everybody, but you need to have doctors be able to test anybody that they think needs to be tested without having to worry about anything. So almost like how we test people for HIV. And I, I think we'll get there. 
But I do think the federal government has to help figure out how to, to facilitate that logistically in, in certain states. I don't think we can defend I don't think we can depend on our federal government at this point unless we get Trump out of office. So until Trump is out of office, I just don't I think it's like let's leaving a, a vampire in charge of the blood bank right now. We've literally got a war profiteer who has no empathy because he's a sociopath running us into the ground. For another episode. No, I mean, uh, I don't want to get you in trouble because I know you work with the federal government and you have to for the work that you do, so you don't have to comment on that. But, um, you know, uh, always appreciate your perspective. Thanks again for taking the time. We're almost at 45 minutes, so I want to let people go get back to their busy schedules of doing nothing. Um, I did watch 12 Monkeys last night. I felt like it was like a kind of sweet little pandemic movie that I didn't even know I needed to see until I saw it. So that's a suggestion for you guys listening. Dr. Dodger, have you seen any good movies in the past month? I watched the Tom Hanks movie yesterday. Which I one? watched a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Oh, I should see that. Cool. It's shot in Pittsburgh. Right. Right. Great. Well, all right. Stay safe. Take care. Wash your hands. Thanks again. Donate to healthcare workers. Delivery drivers, tip all the people delivering food to you as much as you can. You know, just help each other. Anything else? Well, that sounds good. All right. Well, till next time, Dr. Adalja. Thanks so much. Have a good day. Right. I'll talk Bye. to you soon. Bye. The South Dakota Stories, Volume 5. South Dakota seemed like the perfect place to unplug. But I ended up connecting to the world around me. A world where each sunset was painted. Where I felt adventures pulse with every step. And where cold water trickling, pine swaying, and grunting bison became my favorite soundtracks. I just wish I didn't have to leave. There's so much South Dakota. So little time. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.